The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Hey, welcome. Uh, so glad that you're here. My name is Alan, and uh, this morning is uh, going to be a community test. This morning is a test for us. This morning I'm talking about homosexuality, and I don't think for a moment that it's going to go smoothly. Uh, okay. Uh, I mean, this is as hot of, of a topic as, uh, as one can go after. I mean, this is the one that separates husbands from wives and brothers from sisters, and there are differences in your family as far as where you're going to land on this issue. I had a couple last week say they're looking forward to this message because a husband and a wife disagree on this topic, and they want to know uh, who's right, and so I'm here to help them out. <laughs> Great. No pressure there. This morning, just so you know, this is kind of a lose-lose for me this morning. I get that, that there'll be half of you who are going to think I'm too soft and I'm too uh, left, and then there's going to be half of you who are going to think I'm too hard and I'm too right. And so the point is not for me to please you. It really never is. It's uh, for us to talk truthfully about, about who God is and what's going on here. So I'm not even going to attempt to, uh, to please you. Um, I had a, a mentor, a pastor friend of mine a number of years ago with way more experience than me said uh, don't ever talk about homosexuality on a Sunday in and of itself talk about marriage talk about God's uh, value for uh, sexuality talk about what God's picture is and other topics can kind of flow from that sometimes but don't let homosexuality be the topic for a Sunday morning Well, I'll tell you next week whether or not I should have taken his advice on that one. but we are in a, in a section of our journey this year called AD, in a section where we're talking about conflict that we have with Jesus. And how do we handle a conflict with Jesus? And as I was, as I was praying and thinking about uh, this section as we were heading into June, I just really felt like God was saying, Alan, I want you to shoot straight in terms of homosexuality. Let's just, let's just talk about it openly. Let's just, kinda, let's just go for it and talk straight about it. Uh, the issue that we're looking at today in terms of conflict with Jesus is what, how do we handle a conflict when we feel Jesus is unclear in an area where we need clarity? Stephen uh, Colbert was uh, quoted as uh, in response to a lot of the things that are happening in, in the media with regards to homosexuality over the past few months. Last month, he, uh, he said, uh, I want to share with you, I would like to share with you all that Jesus has to say about homosexuality. And I pulled out a, he pulled out a Bible and he said, I would like to share it with you, but he doesn't say anything. And then everyone cheered, Woo! and the whole uh, thing goes there. So how do we, well, homosexuality is such a hot topic. Why does Jesus not say anything specifically about it? How are we supposed to handle our morality, our spirituality, if Jesus doesn't give us clear words that we can follow? How are we supposed to handle that? How are we supposed to respond to that? That's what we're going after today. As we launch into that, would you bow your heads with me? Father, um, more than normal, for whatever that means, I uh, ask for your grace and your peace to be here in this room. I, I ask that all of our hearts would be, um, would be together uh, over this next half hour. Uh, I pray that, that our minds, even though we are going to be in different places, uh, that we would be uh, open to you, open to conversations with one another, that as a test of our community, that we would pass, that we would love one another uh, as we uh, go through this in the next um, half hour, in the next days, in the next weeks, in the next months as a community. We pray this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to do something a little bit different uh, as part of an interactive opportunity with this topic. I'm not going to be talking about this topic on a regular basis, and I know that in 30 minutes I'm not going to be able to address all the issues. And so what we're going to do is give you an opportunity to ask any questions you want, and then at the end we're going to do some Q&A with perhaps some things you'll bring up that I'm not addressing in the 30 minutes that I talk. The way we're going to do that is uh, you can text a question to this number. Text any question to this number. 
number. And then at the end, uh, people are going to kind of s- uh, sift through them and find kind of the, the questions that are most consistent, etc. And then we're going to uh, take a look at those at the end. If you have a phone, so you're allowed to have your phone on. And, and uh, if you have a phone and you're not sure how this works, how do you test the question to that? Just look for any 12-year-old uh, around you. They'll help you out. <laughs> We'll be fine. So go ahead. This number will be up on the screen for the remainder of the message. Feel free to text any question that you would like. I'd like to launch into this conversation by just asking the question, where does authority come from? In terms of our morality, our sexuality, in terms of the issue of homosexuality, where do we get uh, any sense of where lines are drawn? Where does authority come from in order to speak into that. Here in this context, we believe in the authority of Scripture. And there are three ways for you to respond to the authority of Scripture. Uh, One is to not believe that Scripture is the final authority, is to not believe that's where the the authority comes from. And if that's where you're at, then then go for it. Then do what you feel, what your heart tells you. I mean, that's the way that Anakin Skywalker's mom spoke to him and says, do what your heart tells you. You know, what does your heart tell you? What does the law permit you to do? Go for it and be consistent and be loving and, and just, you know, if, if the scripture is not your uh, area of authority, then what is? And when I say that, it doesn't mean that Scripture is irrelevant to you. My guess is that for everyone in the room, Scripture is in some ways relevant. But is it the final authority? Is it the, is it the full authority for you in terms of your morality? There's two ways that we can look at Scripture. Either we, uh, we understand our experiences through Scripture, or we understand Scripture through our experiences. Those are two very different things. Which do we bring to the other? Do our experiences prevail, we bring that to Scripture, or does Scripture prevail, and we bring that into our experiences? A second way that we can respond to the authority of Scripture on the issue of homosexuality is we can uh, read it and conclude that it's not clear. And whenever we believe Scripture is, is gray area or is not clear in terms of morality, we need to pray for wisdom and grace and humility as we walk that through. For instance, God uh, says in Scripture that he hates divorce. He hates what it does to us. He hates what it does to our families. But there are times in the New Testament where it offers some reasons, some biblical reasons for divorce. It talks about uh, one, of the, one of the things that has been summarized by some as being abandonment. If someone has abandoned the relationship, then that is a viable biblical reason for divorce. Well, what does abandonment mean? Is it physical abandonment? Is it emotional abandonment? That can get pretty slippery in terms of trying to say, yes, someone has abandoned me because they showed up late last night or whatever. Scripture is not perfectly clear on what abandonment means. So with that lack of clarity, we need to pray for wisdom and grace and humility as we enter into those conversations. Or let's take tithing. The Old Testament talks about a 10% tithe. And Jesus makes no mention of any number. Jesus talks about money a lot, but he doesn't talk about any tithe, any 10%. All Jesus says in terms of an amount is give everything. To which we say, I'm going to go with the 10% uh, on that deal. And so Jesus, in a sense, is not clear in terms of exactly how does the tithe work. And so we need to pray for wisdom and grace and enter into those conversations with clarity. So here I am 10 minutes in. I've talked about homosexuality, divorce, and tithing. I mean, you've come to a good Sunday. This is a Sunday with all the bells and whistles, right? Woohoo! Okay, so there is a third response to Scripture with regard to the issue of homosexuality, and that is reading Scripture and understanding it to be clear on this issue. Now, I don't think it's reasonable to read Scripture and conclude that it is clear on the side of condoning homosexuality. I've never heard anybody say that. What we, where we can either land on is either Scripture is unclear, and so we will err on the side of love and grace, which many have, and that is a reasonable place to land. Or we conclude that Scripture is clear about, with regard to homosexuality, 
And whether that is part of God's sanctioned plan, we believe the Bible is clear that that is not God's sanctioned plan, and then we decide how are we gonna act on that. So three ways to respond to the authority of scripture. First of all, where are you on those three things? Because I'm gonna look at a couple passages. In fact, there are six passages in the Bible that talks about homosexuality, three of which are actually pretty vague and may or may not be referring to homosexuality. So what we're talking about is a few times in Scripture, a few times where it's even mentioned. It's not mentioned anywhere near the number of times of other morality issues, certainly other sexuality issues of sexuality. It's not mentioned near as much as, as, as our responsibility in terms of taking care of the poor and what do we do with our finances and, and uh, other, uh, like I said, sexual issues. But it is mentioned. And so we're going to take a look at a passage from the Old Testament and a passage from the New Testament. The Old Testament passage is found in Leviticus chapter 18. I invite you to turn with me there if you brought your Bibles. Leviticus is the third book in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. It's the one that most of us probably already read this morning. Okay. Uh, Leviticus chapter 18. I'm beginning in verse 20. Leviticus 18, verse 20. Do not have sexual relations with your neighbor's wife and defile yourself with her. Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech, for you must not profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. Do not have sexual relations with an animal and defile yourself with it. A woman must not present herself to an animal to have sexual relations with it. That is a perversion. This is in a section of scripture that is referred to as the holiness code. Holy means to be set apart. We just sung that great song uh, about, about the fact that God is holy. God is set apart. And he invites us and challenges us to be holy to be set apart. Here in the holiness code in Leviticus 18, God is saying to the people, I want you to be set apart from what's happening culturally. They're, having, they're, they're practicing some detestable things. They thought it was okay to murder their children in worship of the God Malach. And God was saying, I want you to do something radically different. I want you to be set apart. And a lot of it has to do with their sexuality. I think it's important, very important, to understand in this text that was written so many centuries ago that the struggles and the questions that we have with regard to our sexuality, with regard to homosexuality, they're not new. Societies over the past uh, centuries have drifted toward the sexual ethic that is laid out in Scripture, drifted toward it and drifted away from it throughout the generations, throughout societies. It feels very new and very volatile for us, the issue of sexuality and exactly where do we land. It's not new for God. God has, this is not uh, some new kind of experiment for God. What do I do? God has dealt with us, with his people, um, throughout uh, his history, throughout the history of of his taking care of us, of his people. Now, The main challenge, uh, I've read on both sides of the issue of homosexuality, and the main challenge to this passage of Scripture is that it is not about loving, monogamous, homosexual relationships. That this passage of Scripture is about pagan worship. It's about that being a part of pagan worship. And so if in our culture we are not practicing pagan worship, then that act is okay. We need to be careful with that line of thinking uh, because we then need to be consistent with the other things mentioned here. Does that then mean that adultery and sleeping with your neighbor's wife is okay as long as it's not in the act of worship? Or does that mean that bestiality is okay? We just need to be consistent. If we bring something to the text, then we need to challenge it in a a consistent way. Uh, There's also challenges about uh, different 
uh, eras that, well, things have changed and certain things that we uh, see in the Bible, we don't, we don't practice those things today. And that's a very relevant question. But there's a difference between ritual law and moral law. Ritual law is about how we practice worship, how we engage with God, the the laws and the rules and the the restrictions on how we participate in that. And what we see in Scripture is there's a change even from the Old Testament and the New Testament with regard to things like circumcision, uh, with regard to things like food and foods that are permissible, foods that are not permissible, as well as Sabbath and festivals and exactly how these things are to be celebrated. Those things are ritual law that have changed even within our Bible. We also see in the New Testament that women were treated very differently than we treat women now, that women were to be kept quiet in church and they were to have, have a head covering and a number of different things. That we say, well, why does it say that in the Bible, but that's not what we practice now? Because that's ritual law, uh, uh, like the other things that I had mentioned. And ritual law can change over time. However, moral law, the moral code, is something that is consistent throughout humanity consistent throughout time. These verses in Leviticus chapter 18 are not ritual law, limited to how we worship. They are moral law in terms of how we handle ourselves sexually. Okay, let me move on to the second section of scripture I want to take a look at this morning. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament. It's kind of deep into the New Testament. Paul wrote two letters to a city named Corinth. And this is the first of those letters. The church in Corinth was wealthy, they were beautiful, and they were famous for their sexual freedom. That in the Middle East, if you went into most public restrooms, it would say, for a good time, go to Corinth. That's pretty much what was happening there. They were way into the Greek goddess of sexuality and love, Aphrodite. And they were way into the Roman version of that, who was Venus. And they practiced uh, multiple random sexual encounters as a part of their worship. And they had at any given time, any day, there would be in Corinth about a thousand temple prostitutes who would be available for sexual experiences for those who want to have that be a part of their worship. The the world that we find, the Greek and Roman world that we find in our New Testament was as sexually charged, if not more so, than what we saw in Leviticus chapter 18. In other words, once again, this is not new for God. This is not new territory for him in terms of loving us through our questions and challenges with regard to sexuality. It's not new for him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I want to read a few verses beginning in verse 9. Paul says to the people in Corinth, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Once again, Scripture is saying to this group of people, I want you to be set apart. I want you to be holy. Not perfect, but I want you to make efforts to be set apart from what the culture looks like. Some experts say that the the most distinguishable thing of the Christians in the first century was their sexual ethic. More than any other thing, it's how they handled themselves sexually that had the most dramatic and profound difference with the rest of culture. How they handled themselves sexually. Now there's been a challenge with this passage with regard to the, the Greek that is used here in, this, in, this, in these verses. And that the Greek is unclear and obscure. Well, every verse in the Bible has been challenged, has been uh, poked at, has been... Uh, disassembled, 
uh, throughout the history of the Christian church. Every verse. And you'll find evidence of that if you have a study Bible. There'll be comments somewhere, sometimes in your study Bible, that will say, you know, this section is not found in some of the earlier manuscripts. Sometimes you, you may read different translations of the Bible, and one good translation says something a little bit different than another good translation. And all that is part of the, 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 the challenge in terms of understanding what Scripture has to say. It's been translated from a different language, and I pray and, and expect that God has protected His Word through that transition. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6, these verses that we're looking at, these verses have never been questioned to my knowledge in the 2,000 years of church history in terms of their clarity. It, it hasn't been an issue in terms of, of whether... Uh, in terms of what Paul was referring to in these verses. It hasn't been an issue until now, until our cultural morality requires us to relook at these verses. Again, there's only six times that the issue of homosexuality is, is brought up, and those six times have been dissected tremendously for good, for good reason. It's a, it's a big deal. It's a big issue. Another challenge for these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is similar to what we found in Leviticus 18, that these, these verses are not talking about a loving, monogamous, homosexual relationship. These verses are talking about acts of worship. They're talking about temple prostitution. They're talking about men having ritual sex with young boys as a part of their worship experience. They're not talking about consensual homosexual relationship. Well, once again, it would be the same counter-argument to that, that Paul is talking about uh, adultery, and Paul is talking about uh, being a slanderer and being a cheater and all those things. So then does that mean those things are okay as long as they're, as long as they're not in the context of temple worship? We just need to be careful. If we explain something in a certain way, it has to be consistent with the other things that are mentioned in that passage. Now, in both of those passages of Scripture, there is a mention of adultery. And I think it's reasonable to compare those two uh, moral, the sexually moral issues, the issue of adultery and the issue of homosexuality. And that, uh, in fact, I think homosexuality in our culture, this is just my take on it, is about 25 years behind how our culture has responded to the issue of adultery. Uh, it's, a, it's about 25 years behind. And again, uh, I, this is not new for God. God's been dealing with uh, sexual ethic issues for all of uh, history. But I think it, 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 uh, there's been a change in terms of adultery uh, from moving from something that is unacceptable to something that is acceptable. And when I say adultery, I mean sex outside of the covenant of marriage. So any premarital sex, any whatever experimental stuff, anything that is outside of the covenant of marriage, that has moved from being unacceptable to being acceptable. And I think that happened in 1987. This is just my little guess. Uh, uh, I remember an episode of Cheers, stay with me, where Sam Malone went and talked with his priest because he was struggling with some sexual issues. And so he thought, you know, last resort, I'm going to go talk to the priest. I'm really struggling. And, said, and explained his situation. There are these multiple girls, and he's not sure what to do and, and what's the right thing to do. He has respect for the priest, has respect for the church. And then the priest, which is an older gentleman, just slowly said, well, Sam, you do understand that I and the church understand marriage to be something, or sex to be reserved for the covenant of marriage. And then Sam Malone started laughing. <laughs> and then he saw that the priest was not laughing. He said, oh, you're serious. Um, see, that to me, that was the turning point. That was the moment. That was the moment where things changed. Now, in the past decade, in the past 10 or so years, there has been uh, dramatic efforts to have an impact on the public opinion with regard to homosexuality. And the effectiveness of those efforts is astounding. Astounding. It's astounding to think what has changed in the last 10, 25 years. My kids finished school last week, and so this was the first week of summer, and they had some friends over, and in the heat of the day, they were playing a game inside the house and running around, and I said to my son, what are you guys playing? And he said, we're playing gay tag. And I said, 
okay, could you just take a moment and explain that to me? And uh, details. Uh, he, said, uh, he said, well, what happens is, is whoever's it has to hold somebody for three seconds and then they become it. And so I talked with him later. I said, well, do you know what, you know what gay is? And, you know, it kind of launched a little conversation. He had no clue what, what, you know, what gay is in terms of sexuality. It was just a game. But let me just tell you, I never played gay tag when I was a kid. <laughs> I don't remember ever playing gay tag. I mean, our culture has dramatically shifted. Ellen DeGeneres, Rosie O'Donnell, The Will and Grace Show. I mean, there have been so many examples of how public opinion has been moved on the issue of homosexuality. Let me just ask you, just kind of in your own head, how many people do you think in the United States are gay? What's the percentage of adults in the United States that you think are gay? A Gallup poll, the most recent Gallup poll, across the country concluded with an average, the average guess of Americans with regard to how many Americans are gay was 25%. 25%. Now, the actual number lands somewhere between 2 and 3.5%. Now, some would guess maybe up to 8%, but the number is a little bit slippery because of definitions. What exactly do you mean by this, that, and the other thing? As well as uh, an ongoing resistance for some to admit that that's who they are, to say who that's who they are. So that number is, is certainly imprecise, but there's a big difference between 3% and 25%. There has been a major pendulum swing in terms of public opinion over the last 25 years. In fact, I think that pendulum swung, it's just my opinion, I think that crossed over the midpoint in 2012. Uh, DC Comics uh, made, a, uh, made a statement that next year, one of uh, the, our beloved superheroes, one of the superheroes that our kids look up to, uh, who we've understood to be heterosexual, is going to come out and be gay next year, and that's going to be part of their, part of their deal. And uh, we're all familiar with President Obama's uh, evolving position with regard to homosexuality. Now, these things, the president of D.C. Comments, the president, president of our country, they don't make those decisions, in my opinion, in order to impact public opinion. The pendulum has swung. Public opinion impacts those decisions. Within our lifetime now, I think the pendulum has swung from homosexuality being an, uh, an unacceptable thing whew, to being an acceptable thing. So let me come back to the comparison between homosexuality and adultery. And here's where there's, I think, a great difference. Periodically, I will talk about adultery. I will talk about sex outside of marriage. Hopefully, this is a real place where we can talk about real things. And I will talk about sex outside of marriage. And typically, there are three ways that you can respond to that. One is you can be enlightened by it, be informed by it, and say, I didn't know Scripture was so clear. I hadn't thought about it in those terms. There is a conviction, and persons will make decisions to make some changes, to say, I'm going to have some conversations. I'm going to make some changes in terms of what I'm doing with the, with the girl or the boy that I'm not married with. Another response that uh, one might have when I talk about adultery is that there is some level of guilt. There's some level of discomfort. Even right now, as I continue to be on that topic, you're just uncomfortable where you're seated. You're hoping that I move on very quickly. And, but as long as lunch is good on Sunday, you'll get over it pretty quickly, and then you move on with life. That's kind of a second response. A third response is just to roll your eyes and say, oh, my goodness, Alan, you are such a fuddy-duddy. You don't live in the world that I live in. You don't understand the real world. What you're talking about is no longer relevant in terms of our sexuality. Those are three different responses to the issue of, sex, of, of, of adultery, sex outside of marriage. But when I talk about homosexuality, and I've only had one other experience doing that, I talked about homosexuality for four minutes a couple years ago, and now today I'm talking about it. When I or someone from the church talks about homosexuality, it comes across as hateful. 
Why is it that adultery can come across as eye-rolling and irrelevant and fuddy-duddy, but homosexuality comes across as hateful towards those who embrace that or those who are wrestling with that? That's the part I don't understand. That's the community challenge for me. That's the community challenge for us, I think. Can you hear me and not hear that I'm being hateful? My goal today is to address the clarity issue with regard to homosexuality. Why did Jesus not say anything about it specifically? What we have seen, however, is that it is mentioned a few times elsewhere in Scripture. It's mentioned in other parts of the Bible, and Jesus wrote the Bible. It's not just the red letters that are endorsed by Jesus. He's the word of life. He's the one who wrote Scripture. And so I believe there is clarity in Scripture. I believe Jesus has been clear on this issue. My goal today is not to change your mind on this topic. It runs way too deep for that. My goal is not to, to change who you are, certainly not to judge who you are, not to, to change anyone from being gay to being heterosexual. That's not my role. That's not the purpose of today. My goal is not, certainly not, to give ammunition to heterosexual Christians with regard to their interaction with, with other uh, 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 persons who believe differently in terms of homosexuality. Uh, please don't do that. Please don't use any of this as ammunition. My goodness. The church has a terrible reputation as it is already with regard to this issue. My goal is that we would be able to talk about this issue well. My hope, my goal, is that we would pass this very warm community test. Parents, are you talking with your kids about homosexuality? Not just saying, do you have any questions? But actually pulling it out of them and talking about it. They are struggling with it either their own sexuality or people that they know or just the moral ethic question, they're wrestling with it and they don't know where to go. They don't know where to find the answers to some of this stuff. And here's something. This is a major issue for girls in middle school right now in our culture. Major issues. If you have a girl in middle school, are you aware of that? Are you talking with them? Are we able as a community, will we pass the test in terms of being able to talk lovingly about this stuff? Can we talk respectfully? Can we listen to one another? Can we love one another through this process? I sure hope so. Because I know we're not all going to agree. Absolutely not. I know some of you are at a very different place than where I'm at. I hope this still feels like a safe place. It's okay that you're at a different place. We're working this stuff out together as we go. We're going to have a different opinion as to the clarity of Jesus on this topic, but here's something that I think we're going to have consistent opinion about with regard to the clarity of Jesus. Most of us in this room would agree that Jesus was clear that God can transform you. Whatever your sexual issue is, and you have one, you're a fool if you think you don't. <laughs> Whatever your sexual issue is, God offers freedom for that. I want to reread what I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. At the end there, Paul says, and that is what some of you were. This label of I am this, I am that, I am a, uh, et cetera. That's what you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our Lord. We can trust and believe in the transformation that can occur. If you desire to enter into the courageous and challenging journey of transformation in terms of your sexuality, whatever you're struggling with, God will honor that journey, whatever the issue. Today, we're going to close with a different way to respond. Typically, we have a number of different ways to respond here in the room. We're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to look at some of your texts, 
and we're going to do a little bit of Q&A uh, as just a way to say, no, I do not have all the answers. But let's, let's just talk about it openly and be willing to admit, you know, I don't quite understand that or here's an opinion on that. Let's talk lovingly about this stuff. I know this is a different topic than most of our topics, so there's two other things we're going to do. One is, if you have questions that are still not going to be addressed here today, which likely you do, you can go to our website, mountainpark.org, and on the front of our website, it'll say, ask your question. And we will engage as a community on this topic, and we will uh, open it up for a few days, and then we'll respond and go back and forth with folks. We will have a conversation. You can be anonymous, ask whatever question you want, and we'll go for it on our website, and we'll see what happens. Also, uh, some people prefer to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And so we, uh, uh, the pastors here at the church, uh, have committed ourselves to be available this week, uh, any time during the day, for any of you to come and, and have a follow-up conversation. Again, we know this is a different kind of topic for us than normal. So if you want to come and talk about your own sexuality, about your kids, about, what's, about just some other questions, we have made ourselves available. We'd love to um, uh, meet with you, talk with you, and be available in whatever, whatever way that we can. Okay, um, let's see if there are any questions. Do we have any, any uh, texts? Shouldn't we as Christians love homosexuals regardless of their sexual preference? Should I love that person any less or do I add more love? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I think the first question, uh, shouldn't we? Uh, it's absolutely yes. I think there's no, there's no, there's no, um, um, discrepancy on that issue. Should we love any less? Well, uh, should I love that person any less, or do I add more love? Uh, the whole gospel is about love. Love God, love others. Add more. If you have questions about what to do, add more. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, loving somebody does not condone uh, their actions. Sometimes people need more love in order to, to feel the safety to make some, um, some changes in their life. And whether they change their life or not, still love Still love, we don't, we don't stop loving someone because they struggle with, with any kind of temptation or, or issue, or if, even if they don't view it as, as, a, as a sin or as a struggle. So more love. Any question? More love. Easy one. Whew. Started off easy. All right. Another question. How do parents handle homosexuality prevalent in a culture like women's basketball for our daughters? And so I assume the question there is, uh, man, I love the honesty of that. Someone's saying, in my situation, here is one particular area where homosexuality is, is heightened rather than other areas. And the, there will be um, uh, circumstances in life where this is going to be, uh, where it's going to be more prevalent than, than other areas. Um, uh, so the question is, how do we handle it? Uh, I, think it's, I think it's communication. I think it comes down to communication. I think that uh, if you have issues specifically about your daughter, um, uh, you can come in, talk to us, talk to Beth. She is dealing with homosexuality in terms of our student ministry a whole lot, having plenty of conversations with that. But, um, but, the, but the issue is to have open conversation about that and to, uh, to pour more love is the first question indicated. I don't have any magical answer there, but, um, but talk about it talk about it. Don't let it be something that gets strength and power by, uh, by, by being um, silent on it. Love versus hating sin is difficult for this topic because of society's acceptance of homosexuality. Fine line. Can you comment? Love versus hating sin. Uh, you're talking about loving the sin versus hating the sin? I'm not sure I understand the question. Whoever asked it, would you stand? Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> love, <laughs> love versus hating sin. I get maybe this is addressing the issue of, of love the, the phrase, uh, love the uh, sin or hate the sin. And uh, I've heard from a number of um, uh, people in the homosexual community that that is the worst phrase to use uh, because, because we, we that, 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 is, that makes sense uh, from the perspective of trying to show love but what that feels like what that sounds like is you, you, uh, you can't separate me from who I am you can't separate those two things either you love me for all that I am or you hate me for all that I am and so, so I, I would stay away from that phrase I don't think that's a good phrase to, uh, to hang on to that we, we love the person 
love the person, and, um, and hating the sin I think is different than, than talking about the sin or discussing the sin or, or, or being respectful of where they're coming from. Someone says that they're homosexual and they're a Christian, well, uh, my first thing would be to go after say, where does that come from? What fuels that? How do you respond to Leviticus 18 and 1 Corinthians chapter 7? We can't just ignore scriptures that go against what our experience is. So the phrase hate the sin, I just don't think it has any place in the conversation. Our young, uh, what's our timing? Okay, our young teenage son thinks he is gay. How do we help him? This one, this is really interesting. Um, I think that the most frightening question of our, in our culture right now on this topic is the question, maybe I'm gay. I, th- I think it's a, it's a terrifying question because uh, in the past, when we struggled with our sexuality, when we struggled because a, a girl didn't like us or a boy didn't like us, or when we struggled with some issue in our developing of our sexuality, that question wasn't predominant. Well, maybe I'm gay. And so we had to wrestle with that. We hurt through that. We learned through that. We, we grew stronger through that. We understood we can't have every person that we wanted. We understand we need to develop who we are in order to be a good person, in order to, to be wanted by somebody else. It's part of the development socially for us. But now to say, hey, if you're struggling, if you're not sure how this is going with, with, your, relation, with your heterosexual relationship, Maybe you're gay. I think there's, there's, too, there's too quick of a jump to that question. And, um, and so that would be a challenge for me is to say, is to say uh, whatever voices in our culture are saying, maybe you're gay, that we, would, uh, that we would balance that out with the question of um, what are you wrestling with sexually or what are you struggling with? Can we talk about that? How do you feel? How, you know, how, where are your insecurities landing? All that kind of stuff. Maybe someone feels, maybe a boy feels more comfortable with another boy than with another girl. Doesn't necessarily mean that person is gay. Another question? How do we respond when a friend or coworker comes out to us? Um, you know, I, I think our culture is moving more and more and more and more to, uh, to where there's, there's no shock to that. It used to be a, a big shock to that response, and, and that's just a terrible response. <gasps> and we're, you know, you, know, you know, grossed out by it or whatever. I mean, that is, just, that is just not the response to any sin that somebody confesses with. I got my stuff. I got my stuff that I struggle with. It's not homosexuality, but I got my other stuff. And if I shared that with somebody I trusted, and they just went, <gasps> ew, that's not going to help the situation. So just imagine whatever you are struggling with and you are struggling with something. You open that up with somebody that you trust. How would you want them to respond? Set aside the issue of whether the Bible is clear or the Bible is not clear or it's morally acceptable or it's part of God's design or not. Set aside those things. How would you want somebody to respond to you if you brought up your secret? And just flip that around. It's not a different issue. Pornography, uh, uh, lust, uh, other kinds of affairs, those are not different than the issue of, of uh, homosexuality. I mean, it's just not different. We're sexual beings, and it's hard to talk about any issue of sexuality. We're getting close on timing here. I think uh, this is the last one because before I get in too much trouble. Uh, why should we mix church and state in addressing homosexuality? Why should religion take a position if the government determines the legality of same-sex relationships? Great question. And I, there's an assumption there that we should mix church and state and that we should take a position. And, and, and I, don't, I don't agree with that. I, uh, that's why that's what I mean. My goal here is not to change public opinion. It's not to... Um, I am not going to sign petitions. I am not going to get involved. I personally am not going to get involved with, with state issues in terms of, of the law. Uh, I, I don't think that's my place. I don't think it's my place to come in and say, we as a church are going to land here in terms of a government issue. That is, that, is, that is not our place. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't impact the world through the government. He impacted the world through human hearts. And so the way we impact one another is we talk about it. We represent scripture with integrity and we move forward. I, I don't think we should get involved with the, with the legality of it. I'm not saying it's wrong if you want to, I'm just saying we as a church are not going to, and I personally, uh, that's not my effort. My effort is to, 
is to learn about the topic and to love others and um, just let, let, let God decide how things, how things land um, at that point. We talk about homosexuality as a big issue. Wouldn't expressing it this way lead a homosexual to feel that there is something wrong with him or her? Wow, that's a great question. Great question. I haven't thought about that. Even I have referred multiple times that it is a major issue. It's a hot issue. And what needs to be said about that is that it is a, it is a major, big, hot issue in terms of a moral conversation, in terms of differing opinions, but it is not a major hot issue in terms of being a deeper or worse sin than the sins that the rest of us are experiencing here in this room. I don't struggle with homosexuality, but I have my own stuff. Don't you dare look down on someone who is struggling with homosexuality while you have your own things that you're working on. It is not a worse issue. That's not the way holiness works. That's not the way God views our sin. It's a big issue in terms of culturally. It's not a big issue in terms of holiness. Okay. I have two cousins. Both are gay. And both profess to be Christians. Will they still go to heaven? Another great question. Um, the verse that I read in 1 Corinthians 6 says, says, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then list those things. And uh, we need to be careful with any sin, taking a sin and then taking it down the path of that sin disallows you from going into heaven. That's not the way scripture works. That's not the way salvation works. That's not the way grace works. Heaven is about a relationship with Jesus. It is about saying, I, in the midst of my sin, am made whole, not by my own works, but by what Jesus has done for me on the cross. And so I am not going to end my days sinless and then as a result go into heaven. So it is not my place. Um, I would never say at a funeral, I never say this person is absolutely going to heaven. And I don't say this person is absolutely not going to heaven. Well, of course I'm not going to say that. But, I mean, we just need to be real careful. That's between a person and God, and it's not about what we do. And so to make, will they go to heaven? That is not my decision. That is not uh, any of our conversations. The conversation is, um, uh, are, are we loving, are you loving your cousins? Is there an open conversation to say, hey, I just want to make sure you know where I stand, and I, and I want to make sure I'm representing God in a way that is honoring to him, but I never want you to question my love for you. That's where we get to go. We don't go to the place of deciding whether somebody's going to heaven or not. And you don't get to do that with me. Okay. <laughs> Is it true that all hockey players are sexually confused? <laughs> Just the LA Kings. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, thank you for moving on. If I believe in a biological, physiological route to homosexuality, why would a living God create a person and then condemn that identity and sexual orientation? Great question, well-worded, very, uh, very well um, uh, understood uh, by us here. This is, this is a question that kind of drives a lot of our thinking. And um, God has made us as sexual beings, and we have natural preferences within that sexuality. Some prefer a certain type of look. Some prefer other types of looks. Some people struggle with a natural preference towards sex with children. It's much less common. But some struggle with a natural preference. So if we go down the path of that's who I am naturally, that's who I physiologically have been attracted to, that can't be the piece that says that's what allows me to do what I want to do. I have desires sexually that are outside of my marriage. That doesn't mean I get to act on them. And so the, the, the sexual preference piece, um, going down to the issue of uh, was somebody born that way, I, I, I'm not an expert on that at all, but it makes total sense that some people would be born with a natural tendency towards one way or another. But please understand, there are people with a natural tendency towards sexual desires that are, that are illegal. And so we just need to be careful with the natural preference piece in, in, in saying that is a reason over and above the authority of Scripture 
to talk about the morality of homosexuality. That's just a response. Okay, uh, how are we doing? One more, one more. I disagree that homosexuality is worse than adultery. A commitment involves love and faith, and it doesn't matter if you, if you are a heterosexual or homosexual. Therefore, I feel adultery is wrong because you broke that commitment. How would you respond? Uh, I want to be careful with the definition of adultery. Adultery is, in this question, is understood as, as having, mar- having sex outside of your marriage. And, and that is universally wrong. You know, that... Um, but adultery is, uh, is, is sex outside the, the covenant of marriage. And so premarital sex and living together and all that, those are things that are done that are commitments involving love and often faith and sometimes faith. And so I think they still can be compared because, again, it becomes down to a sexual moral ethic. Do we believe that uh, living together with somebody you're not married to is that... Is that acceptable by God or not? And under what authority? And if you don't see that as questionable by God, then obviously you're not going to change that. And that will, that'll be the same response to the um, homosexuality issue. But adultery is sex outside of marriage. It's not uh, having sex as a married person. I don't know if I completely avoided the question or not, but that's all I got. <laughs> so uh, I guess the answer is Yes. Okay, uh, you know what? I'm going to wrap up with that one. Um, I I like to end with confusion. So um, (laughs) would you bow your heads with me so that we can uh, pray and wrap this up? Father, I pray that your spirit and your words and your wisdom are way, way more overpowering than anything I have said, God. I pray that you would, as always, filter through anything that I'm saying so that only the stuff that is truly from you resides in our hearts. We invite you to come and move us, to change us. Whatever our sexual uh, issues are, God, we invite you to come by the power of your Holy Spirit and give us the courage and the strength to deal with this and other issues well as a community. May we love one another, listen to one another, honor one another, respect one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.